Welcome back into Slick Talk. I am your host, Blackstone Joe. Back in the saddle for episode 51. Yeah, I'm saying back in the saddle because, well, it's two days before the Yellowstone premiere and I'm thinking about things like ranches and horses and whatever illegal activities might be going on on the Dutton family ranch where you know you still have that wholesome presence of Kevin Costner. So how bad could they really be in well, you know, the answer is they're still pretty bad. But I love that show, and the wife loves it too. And anytime you have a show that pleases you both, you need to stick to it. It needs to become a staple because, you know, generally it's a war over the remote. But in this case, we're both excited every time we can sit down, enjoy an episode of Yellowstone, usually with Chinese takeout. And it's just a good way to end the weekend. So I'm looking forward to that. But I'm also looking forward to talking to you all about an issue I'm having. And maybe that's because I'm looking for some suggestions, perhaps, or just your general thoughts on the matter. So I have an issue specifically relating to the recycling bins that are outside of my house. Now, here's the deal. I theorize that the neighbors, it's hard to know which ones because I live close to downtown. I have a lot of neighbors, but I theorize That one of these neighbors is taking their trash and putting it in my recycling. Okay, that's a big deal because it's so bad, like bags and bags and bags. The trash people know that it's not recycling, so they don't take it. And first of all, if you like live in Fort Wayne or if you, I don't know, Google news stories with Red River waste removal in them, you'll know that like it's we're lucky if the trash like ever gets picked up or the recycling, let alone if people are vandalizing by putting their trash in your recycling. And it got real bad at one point where in addition to there being the neighbor or maybe this is a drive by situation, you can let me know what your theory is, but it got real bad where it was so full and then the lid was left open after they were done vandalizing my recycling. And then it rained a lot. So there was just rain, trash, bacteria, a whole like probably COVID 20 and 21 were being built up in my recycling bin. And I had to deal with it. I got to go out there and manage this because, you know, hand, you know, it's on you. You know, it's on you. And I handled it. But guess what? They're at it again. My wife has suggested uh, putting bungee cords on there. And I just think that these bandits, they are so, you know, uh, out for trouble that I think they would just take the bungee cords off. You know, then I got a mess with putting them on and off. And I don't know what to do. But these vandals want my recycling bins and they can't have them. So I'm working through that. I have to take some Kevin Costner like measures on like he does on the Dutton Ranch in Yellowstone. And then maybe I'll solve it. But I'm working through it. Okay. And it feels good to talk about. But that's not all we're talking about today. We have a couple of customer questions, you know, not just questions. You know, sometimes people just want us to talk about certain engine types, uh, what we're seeing, kind of issues that they might have. So we're going to switch from my issues. We're going to talk about other things in the realm of petroleum. (music) 
First question I'm going to tackle, and this applies to owners of various engines, pretty much I get this no matter what you're driving, um, no matter what oil you're using. And generally, it's from folks who are newer to the idea of oil analysis. You know, maybe they sampled once or twice or not at all. That question is, how often do I need to sample? And it's not a cop-out when I say that it's different for everybody. It depends on your track record. So here's an analogy because this is immediate and it applies, I think. A friend of mine recently asked me um, if I could do a 12-mile run with him. And this friend knew that I have a track record of being able to run that distance. I haven't done it necessarily, you know, lately, not in the last like month or two, but I've done it a lot. And I probably maybe even as many as 10 times have run that distance, if not longer. Told my wife, hey, I'm going to go do this run. It's 12 miles. And she looked at me at first and she goes, you haven't done that in a, in a little bit, have you? And I was like, no, it's, it's been a little while, but. I feel good about it. So I had no concerns. And here's a key reason why. I had a lengthy history built up of runs where, you know, I can even go to apps on my phone where I've stored them. I can see how fast I usually went that distance, you know, how long it took me, what was my heart rate. I had so much data piled up showing a clear illustration of what I could expect from that. So even though I hadn't done it you know, just last week, you know, I had no qualms about committing to it because I can reference back to so many different data points, know my body can handle it. I know what to expect. I'm ready to commit to it. So you might see where I'm going with this when it comes to knowing how often to take a sample. Well, do you have a track record built up? Do we know what to expect? If we do, then we might not have any issue with saying, no, go ahead. It's okay if you miss this oil change, or it's okay if you want to, you know, use that truck of yours to tow certain amount of pounds uh, for certain amount of miles. If we have a way to look back and see what your engine has done before, it's really quite similar in that you gather up data to find out what's typical. You reference that data when you make a decision. And that is how you're able to make a well-informed choice. So I committed to a 12-mile run because I knew all of the times I had done it and how easy it was and that it wasn't an issue for my body. When you're taking a sample and you're deciding how often to do it, well, a lot of that comes down to what do we know about your engine and what do you know about it? Do you know that it's able to easily handle the use you're asking of it? Because if you do... Then you can build your recommendation off of that. You can know that, all right, I don't need to sample every single oil change because I know that I'm doing 5,000 mile intervals again and again and wear is stable, even when I mix in harder use or mostly highway, half and half, maybe highway in town. Having a track record is the first step in making an informed choice about what you're going to do with your sampling procedure, how you're going to monitor your engine. So, As I've said countless times, and I'll keep coming back to it because it's still important, building a trend and then referencing those trends is how you can proceed with confidence in your maintenance plan and what you're asking of your engine, your transmission, so on and so forth. For this next segment, this is going to be all about the 3.5 liter EcoBoost, or I should say EcoBoosts, because a customer asked if we could talk about this engine type a little bit. And first thing I wanted to cover was that 
We have averages um, specific to the you know 3.5 liter EcoBoost that you see mostly in like the Taurus and the F-150. But we also have averages specific to EcoBoosts being used in Raptors. And Raptor fans obviously know why. Um, but for the rest of you, that is because 3.5 liter EcoBoosts being used in Raptors make 450 horsepower compared to the 365 horsepower that you'll see in 3.5s used in other Ford vehicles. So we have averages for each type, you know, because that difference in horsepower is noteworthy and we want to see how wear levels are responding to that ad power. So that's the first thing I want to cover. That's why I say EcoBoosts and not just one size fits all. So we, we keep track of that. So the customer who brought up the 3.5 liter EcoBoost wanting to talk, wanting us to talk about it, uh, was mentioning that some people are saying that you can't do extended oil change intervals with them and want us to cover that idea. So extended oil change intervals, they are certainly possible for this engine, just like any other engine. Now, all that's going to be dependent upon how the engine is responding to the use it sees. So I went and combed through the files and the longest interval that I saw um, that, you know, from a sample that we've tested was 25,000 miles on the oil. That's right. 25,000 for a 3.5 EcoBoost. I believe it was an F-150. Uh, excellent wear levels. It had a couple potential issues we were trying to watch, but nothing related to the oil change interval. So that is sort of the apex of what we've seen. Um, but it's not to say that that is as far as you would be able to go or that everyone should be trying that interval. It's not all what I mean either. Trying such an ambitious interval, um, first of all, that's something you want to see if the engine can handle in smaller increments, not jumping out to that sort of interval. Uh, so people tend to ask, okay, what's a good starting point? Well, a good starting point for a 3.5 liter EcoBoost would be an interval around our average, which is about 6,000 miles for that motor. So 6,000 mile interval is what we're typically seeing. Um, I'm not sure what's in the manual, um, but if you'd rather go with uh, what Ford recommends in the manual, that would be fine too. Take a sample after that interval and see where things stand. Now, I know there's probably going to be some listeners who might, you know, have oils on the shelf that are advertising that they're good for far longer than 6,000 miles. And that's not to say that the product you bought is some outright lie. Um, oils can go you know, well beyond 6,000 miles. You know, I just talked about one owner that was able to do 25,000, but it's really not about the quality of the oil as much as the quality of the engine, how well it's responding to the life it's experiencing. And then of course you want to put in a quality product, you know, you want to use good oil, but something I always want people to keep in mind, oil will not fix a problem. It will not stop a problem from getting worse. So if you have an engine that's not wearing well, either due to just a wear-related problem or due to contamination, well, using, you could find the, the very best oil dripping down from heaven or something. It's not going to suddenly make the engine better than it can be. It's not going to take it to new heights. 
Nevertheless, using a good product is how you can be confident that you'll get the necessary wear protection, lubrication, etc. It just won't take away things that are clearly impacting the engine in an adverse way. So an interval like 10,000 miles, of course, that's not unusual either. Um, it's somewhere in the middle in terms of I think we might you know, might have seen a few hundred instances of people going about that interval with the 3.5. The important thing, though, is to not rely on just anecdotal evidence. You want to build up your own. You want to see what you're doing with the engine and how its wear levels correspond, how the oil's physical properties correspond. So, like I mentioned earlier, start off with an interval close to the average if you have no baseline established that's just a good way to begin it's not a cardinal sin to go a bit longer go a bit shorter but if you're scratching your head wondering all right i want to get into this i want to get into oil analysis and i want to know what's going on with my engine that's just a reasonable place to begin from there we'll extend your interval now our recommendations are exactly that they are recommendations so again you can be a little loose with exact mileage you know if if you're in an instance where you're at you know we advise 10,000 and you are at 10,000 but you can't get an oil change for a couple weeks or a month or whatever and you might have to rack up a few hundred more miles that's okay shoot I was just in (laughs) I was just in a situation with my blazer uh, where the oil life monitor was down to zero percent you know every time I Turned on the ignition, I, I get the the computer in the dashboard screaming at me, change oil, change oil, 0%. And I'm, you know, I, I called the, the dealership and I was like, hey, when can I get in for an oil change? And they're like, ah, yeah, sorry, we're, we're booked up for a uh, couple weeks. And I was like, oh, all right. And I, I just mentioned just to see what they might say. I said, well, you know, the oil life monitors at 0%. And they... Didn't even react. You know, they just said, well, yep, two weeks is uh, two weeks when we can get you in. And I just thought that was kind of funny because, you know, if the oil life monitor was this um, serious, serious notification where it's like, oh, my gosh, don't drive, don't do not do anything, there's no oil life left, then you think they would maybe try and, uh, I don't know, grease grease some wheels, get, get you in there quicker. But I digress. I I was fine. I knew I'd be fine. I knew I didn't have an exorbitant amount of mileage. I knew that, you know, OLMs are a useful uh, maintenance reminder, um, but they just don't take into account all the things that we do in terms of wear levels and physical properties of the oil and whatnot. But we have a whole episode on OLMs actually going beyond the OLM is what's titled. So when it comes to the 3.5 liter EcoBoost, I'll leave you with this. There's no reason to shy away from extended oil use. There's no reason to think it's not possible. But again, you do not want to just jump in both feet as far as just trying a far out number where you just believe that your engine can do it or you bought oil that says it has a mileage on it that that should be plausible. Just again, start with your own data points, build your trends, sample a few intervals. And this all ties back to the, the, the first question I answered. You know, how often do you need to sample? Well, what kind of data points have you strung together? If you got five clean reports in a row and you want to know, can I skip this interval? Can I do something different here? Well, you can be all the more confident when you know with the data in hand 
what that engine is capable of, how closely you should be monitoring it, so on and so forth. All right, that wraps up my talk for today. Um, if you're a fan of Yellowstone, you're watching this show, holler at Blackstone Joe, tag me in your watch parties, maybe invite me, only if you have good dips. I only say that because I'm very proud of my guacamole. Um, let me know if you are into that show. Let me know if you have any suggestions on how to deal with the, the recycling bin bandits in the neighborhood. Still trying to deal with that. And yeah, and also don't send any suggestions that involve me like having to go like combat these people. I'm not Rambo, okay? I pay taxes. Um, and then furthermore, if you have any sort of questions relating to the 3.5 EcoBoost or other engines that you want us to talk about on the show, don't hesitate to reach out. I'd love to hear from you. This is Blackstone Joe signing off. based upon what you can reference in your engine's history, basing your sampling method or your sampling schedule. Well, that's going to, or uh, don't do that. Don't include that.